I don't know how to do that transition better. Went from Jesus dying to the roaring 20s, I feel like, with the music there. But we're, we're just, we're going to talk, I mentioned some verses in Luke 12. We started looking at Luke 12, what Jesus talks about money in Luke 12 last week. We're going to continue to do that this week as well. Um, what, what he says about money and, and our lives and some other principles as well. Um, there is a comedian, Carl Hurley, and he talks about trying to get rid of uh, a broken garbage can. So his garbage can had holes in the bottom, and so he set it out for the garbage man to take it. It was empty. It was clear. I mean, it's old. It's, and so he came back after work to see if the garbage guy had picked it up, and sure enough, he hadn't. It was stacked neatly with his other garbage cans. And so he says, well, what I'll do is I'll flip the garbage can upside down so he'll clearly see there's holes in it, and he'll take it next week. So he does that the next week, and he comes home, and sure enough, the garbage can is right side up, stacked neatly with his other garbage cans. So he got a five-pound sledgehammer and just beat that thing into, you know, twisted and put it out with the other garbage cans, came home that day, and the garbage man had bent the garbage can back into shape so it could stand upright, and he put it with the other garbage cans. And so he did the only thing he could think he, he, to do. He went to the hardware store, bought a chain and, and a padlock, and tied it to a tree in his front yard. And sure enough, by the next morning, it had been stolen, and he was able to get rid of it. So I'm not sure that's true, but that garbage can is a lot like worry in our lives. We don't want worry. We want to get rid of worry and, and try as we might. We set that worry on the corner every you know, morning, and sure enough, in the evening, it's still there. And, and so what we're going to look at this morning in Luke chapter 12 is Jesus talking about money, yes, but also talking about worry and, and fear and anxiety. So last week, we saw this was true. Contentment is better than greed. And I, I know I'm Captain Obvious most of the time as a pastor. Of course, contentment is better than greed. But the truth is, so often we choose more and the pursuit of more over contentment. And Jesus says, stop. You don't have to. Enough can be enough. And this week, we're going to continue what his teaching in Luke 12, where he tells us that trusting God is better than worry. And again, I could put almost anything here, and it would be true, is better than worry. Hitting your thumb with a hammer is better than worry. Like, you know, going on an all-liquid diet. For if, if you're a tremendous worrier and you're overwhelmed with anxiety and fear, man, you can put almost all, anything there. Of course, trusting God is better than worry. But we are so averse to trusting God. We do, we, we, that is so hard for us as human beings that the truth is we often choose worry over doing that. And so we're going to read some verses, and as we do this, I want you to ask this question, do you trust God with your future? Because almost every worry, if not every worry that we have, is usually about something that hasn't happened yet, a, a possible future that usually never even comes about. And just as I read this, just notice how many times Jesus is talking about the future and how you can trust God with your future. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. 
They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? So often, God's creation teaches us about Him and teaches us about truths spiritually. And, and so the, these, these ravens, God takes, God takes care of the things and the creatures He cares about. And He's saying, God loves you more than He loves ravens or crows or any other birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? So this is the second argument. Number one argument is God cares about the creatures He loves, and He loves you. Second argument is it doesn't do any good anyway, right? Worrying. In fact, by worrying, you might be able to subtract an hour from your life, but I don't think that's why we worry. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They neither do, do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Isn't that so true? The beauty of flowers and it's grass. It like literally, sometimes the flowers last one day or a couple days and that's it. And, and even the texture of flowers is just beautiful. You know, better than any clothing we might have. God takes care of those he cares about. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. Seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. And so, our worries are about the future, and you can trust God with your future. Worry is a state of mind where God is discounted or distrusted. You know, and we, we just can't put them in his hands. Here's an idea, and most of the ideas I give you, I do. Okay, so last week, I said you should write a gratitude letter every week. And so I have a stack of 10 letters, now nine, on my nightstand. And every week I want to write a thank you letter to someone telling them what I'm grateful for about them. I think it's a great discipline to do. I want to encourage you to do something that I've never done. Okay, if you struggle with worry, anxiety, and fear, try doing this. Have a three-by-five card in your pocket or in your purse or something and and. Whenever you have a worry or fear, write down your specific worry or fear. Some of you are thinking, I will be writing all day, okay? But it's got to be specific, not I have an uh, you know, uh, impending sense of dread about my kids. No, no, you got to write, what is it I'm specifically worried about? I'm worried that we're going to get in a car accident. I'm worried that... Uh, I'm having this test done, and it's going to come back, and it's going to be cancer. I'm worried that what, whatever it is, write down specifically what you're worried about, okay? And then date it. And a month from now, go back to that piece of paper or that three-ring binder, page after page, or your little flashcard note, whatever it is. Go back a month from now and go down th through and, and just mentally checklist. Did that happen? No, cross that out. Did that happen? No, cross that out. After the first service, uh, a woman told me, I used to struggle with worry all the time as a young woman. And she said, what I started doing was, every time I'd worry, I would say no, and I would pray about that thing. I'm worried I'm gonna get in a car accident. God, help me not to get in a car accident. I'm worried about what's happening with my kids. God, 
Help my kids to make good decisions and the right decision. I'm worried about my marriage. My marriage is awful. God, help me to do what's right and, and help my husband or my wife to do what's right or whatever it is and just give those worries over to God and, and see with an anxiety diary how much of what you worry about is a lie because it never happens. And we need to not discount or distrust God. So what is the antidote to worry, anxiety, and fear? It's not more courage. It's not distraction. Okay, if I can distract myself enough from my worries, then I don't dwell on them. And the, the, the antidote to worry, anxiety, and fear is trusting the God who is and not the what-ifs. Right? This is a, a pastor. I think he's from Oklahoma, Craig Rochelle. He said this, fear is placing your faith in the what-ifs rather than the God is. And we do that so often. And some of you might say, you know, I, I really struggle with control issues. You know what that's like? That's like me saying, I struggle with x-ray vision. You know, I just don't have it down quite yet, x-ray vision. I really struggle with it. I don't struggle with x-ray vision. I don't have x-ray vision, right? I don't struggle with flying with the cape either because I can't do that, right? And, and we don't struggle with control. Newsflash, you have no control over anything except what you do, which is a really, really small slice of what, you, what we all want to control. And, and, and so just realizing, man, I, I need to, I have two choices. I can either try to be God and worry and, and try to control everything, or I can let God do that and be content and be happy and, and be at peace. And so, you know, fear don't, don't place your trust in the what-ifs. So do you trust God with your future? I mean, if you can trust God with heaven, you can trust Him with this afternoon, right? If you can trust God with eternity, you can trust Him with tomorrow. Um, and then do you trust God with your possessions? Jesus goes on to say, but seek His kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. What we get in the Bible is summaries of Jesus' sermons. He did say this, but he probably said a lot of other stuff too. Um, you know, Matthew 6.33 has the same message of Jesus, but Matthew throws in a couple extra words. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I think that first mentality really helps us He's talking before about stuff, about clothing, about food. He's talking later about possessions and giving them away. He's talking about money here. And he's saying, you know what? Don't seek the kingdom of money first. Seek God's kingdom first. If you seek first the kingdom of wealth, you'll worry about every paycheck, every dollar, where it went, every bill. If you seek first the kingdom of health, then every ache and pain is going to, you know, what is that? Is that cancer? Is that, is that my, oh, am I going to need surgery? Is that, if you seek first the kingdom of popularity, you're going to relive every conversation you had. Oh, that was so stupid. Why did I say it that way? What did I, or every post you, you put on Facebook that didn't get more than X number of likes or whatever, two. You know, and you're going to just, oh, maybe I shouldn't have posted that. Oh, that's a bad angle. You seek first the kingdom of popularity and, and you're going to be miserable, and you're going to be worried. If you seek first the kingdom of control, 
then all that's outside of your control is going to stress you out. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And, and I think here, I jumped the gun. All right, I gave you a hint already. Here's a question. When you get paid, where does your money go first? Now, we're in church, so we know the right answer is we give the first part goes to God, but that's not true, is it? Where does our money go first when we get paid? The government. Yeah. The government knows if they don't get paid first, they won't get paid at all. And so they are first in line, and you don't even see it, right? You don't, you don't even get it in your account. They take first. And so this really pains me to ask this question, but what if we could be at least as smart as the government? Oh, you know how awful that sounds. The government's so inefficient. And they're so foolish with their money. They buy $600 hammers, you know, and, and they do such stupid stuff. But they know this. They know if they don't get it first, they might not be getting it. And so what if we had that attitude seeking first his kingdom? What if we had that attitude with our money? And every time you get paid, you, you give first something away to someone. And it would make an impact. Um, in fact, actually, and going back to this verse, it doesn't say seek first his kingdom. So I, I believe Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit just as much as Matthew. And I think the reason he has this this way is because it gives me the impression it isn't a priority thing, it's an only thing. It kind of is saying, just seek his kingdom. Only seek his kingdom. There's only one, one kingdom you need to worry about. It's not about seeking God's kingdom first and then the kingdom of wealth and then the kingdom of health and then the kingdom of popularity and then the kingdom of control. It's not a priority. No, it's an only thing. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything will be given to you as well. And then the next verse, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. If you seek his kingdom... You don't have to fear, you don't have to worry, you don't have to be anxious because he will give you his kingdom. And now the reason we don't trust God to do this is I think one of the biggest reasons is because we don't understand how God operates. And understanding God's man of plan I think is helpful in this, just enough, just in time. When the children of Israel, when the Jewish nation came out of Egypt, they, they went into the promised land. They didn't, they, it was too scary. They didn't want to obey God. So God said, fine, I'll give you what you want. You won't go into the promised land. And they wandered in the wilderness, which was, really wasn't what they wanted. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. And during that entire 40-year period of time, God provided for them through manna. It was all the food that they ate. And, and except for a couple other times where we provided other foods. But every day they would have manna, and they, don't, they didn't know what it was. I don't know what it was. It was all over on the ground. They'd harvest it, and they had to have plenty to eat for that day. But they couldn't save any for the next day because it would smell and rot and have worms in it. It was disgusting. And so every day God gave them just enough. And, and that is what God does many times with us. We want God to answer our prayers in one big lump sum. And he doesn't. In fact, this helped me understand this. 
the cost of raising a child in the United States, this is an old infographic from 2017, inflation, it's gone up. It's now, they say, $284,000 to raise a child from zero to 18 years of age. I don't know where they come up with these numbers. I think they're a little bit exaggerated, but let's go with it, okay? I liked this infographic because this kid is just stinking cute. So, um, so, so if that's true, what if your nine-year-old, what if there, and I don't know if there's any nine-year-olds here, if they're all over in the kids' ministry, but what if the nine-year-old, we got an 11-year-old, came up to you and said, let's make a deal, Dad. Nine years, I'm halfway through. You know I'm eating more in the second nine than in the first nine. You know it's getting more expensive. I have a deal for you. $140,000 right now, and we'll call it even. You know, and you will be free of any financial obligation to me for the rest of my days. Would, would you do that with a nine-year-old? Would you give a nine-year-old $140,000 and say you're on your own? No. Why? Well, because kids don't know what to do with money like that. Money is a burden, right? Money... money and, and if you were to give them that money, they don't know how to invest. They don't know how to save. They don't even know how to spend. They'd probably go out and buy 20X Nintendo Switch, whatever they are, you know, and, and it, it, would, it would harm them and not hurt them. And beyond that, we know that as a parent, money is one of the smallest things that you give to your kids. The truth is the love that you give them, the, the example, the self-discipline, the work ethic, the structure, kids need, adults need structure, kids need structure. The structure a parent brings, the wisdom that they impart is so much more important than the money. And here's something that's true. Reliance creates relationship. And it may create a bad relationship. If it's, bad, if it's a bad relationship and it's, and it's an unhealthy reliance, it could be a bad relationship, but reliance creates relationship. And God has designed it that children will rely on their parents when they're young because they need that relationship and they need the other things that relationship brings to them. And this is true about us and God. There's a reason why Jesus refers to God as our Father because he is like a parent to us, and we want everything in one lump sum. And we're like, God, give me all the health, like cure me completely from whatever illness I have right now, right away, amen. And then he doesn't heal us completely. He says, I'll give you everything you need for today, today. And God, I have this financial problem. Would you just solve all of my financial issues? God, I have these questions. I have so many unanswered questions. Could you just answer all my questions? Who am I supposed to marry? What job am I supposed to get? What do I mean? I mean, I, there's so many questions. God, just answer them all in one lump sum. But God, he, he wants a relationship with you. And he knows if he gives us everything we need, we'll probably walk away. We'll probably go off and do our own thing because reliance creates relationship. And so Jesus says in the next verse, sell your possessions and give to the poor. But if I sell my possessions, what if I need them later? Well, then you'll have to be reliant. Oh, I don't like this plan. I like the plan of all one lump sum. 
you know? That would be cool. God, give me all the money I need for the rest of my life right now. I'll keep doing, I'll keep working. You know, no. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Trust me with your stuff. You're, you're never going to get rid of worry unless you start living like you can trust God. And if you don't live like you can trust God, then you're not going to trust God. And if you don't trust God, there's always going to be something you can worry and get anxious and fearful about. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and where no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I talked about this last week, the connection between my heart and my treasure is very real. So trusting God with your stuff means giving it away. And and so here's one of our five core values is everybody has a next step. So what's your next step when it comes to giving? And interestingly, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Jesus doesn't say sell your possessions and, and give it to the church because there is no church. He doesn't say sell your possessions and give it to me. And, and Jesus did rely on the generosity of others he didn't, he didn't work a job that he got paid. He preached and relied on people giving to him and his disciples to live. But he didn't say, sell your possessions and give to me. He's just saying in general, he says, you know what? You just need to give it away. And so you can give to Bridgewater Church if you believe in our mission and if you think what we're doing is great. But if you don't, then don't. Jesus isn't saying here, give to Bridgewater Church. He's saying, just give. Give it away in this time of year of Christmas. We're reminded of what Jesus said, and it's recorded in the book of Acts. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Wouldn't it be great if we could have Christmas all year round? Some of you just love Christmas. Well, it means trusting God all year round with your stuff. And so if if you aren't giving on a regular basis, I think that's that's maybe the first step you could take. And we, you know, my, my kids, Daniel, he does not have a job. Such a, such a lame 11, still living with his parents, no job, you know. But, but so he doesn't get paid very often. So he gets paid from grandma and grandpa at Christmas time, maybe his birthday. He'll get money in the mail. And we've taught all of our kids, whenever you get, you give. And so he takes his Christmas money and he gives 10% of it away to the church or to whatever. And so if you, if you aren't doing this yet, I encourage you, that's, that's maybe the first step to, to giving more like Jesus says and, and trusting God with your possessions is every time you get paid, give something away. Well, how much should I give away? I don't know. You figure it out right? Maybe it's five bucks, whatever, just, just so that it's a habit that you get in the, the habit of, you know what, when I give, when I get, I give. And it, maybe you're already doing that and you give on a regular basis and very faithfully, however your system is that you do. Um, and then maybe you start giving proportionately. And there's a certain proportion God commanded the Old Testament Israelites to give, and that was 10%. And I think if God commands dirt-poor subsistence farmers with no electricity or running water, if God commanded them to give 10%, then us as Americans, we, I don't think that's too high of a, a percentage to, to go for. 
assuming you have running water and electricity. So give proportionately. And again, where, where do I give it? I don't care. Well, I do. Give it to something good. <laughs> give it to something meaningful, some people that are making a difference in the world, something that's going to help someone, right? If someone's poor, in a, in a way that's going to help someone who's poor. And then the last, in fact, there's, anyway, I won't talk about our own people, but there's people giving away meat. It's cool. Um, and then give sacrificially. Maybe you already give a certain proportion. You give 10%, you give 15%. But, but what Jesus is saying is really hard here. He's saying, sell your possessions. He's not just saying, you know, all this new money that's coming in, carve out a piece of that to give away. He's saying, sell stuff and give to the poor and trust God with your future. Trust God with your possessions and give them away. Um, Yeah, I'll conclude. All right. So I um, had a woman pray for me this morning that um, she says, I pray that you would give God's words and not your words. And I said, well, there is a part that I left out. Maybe God didn't want me to say that part. <laughs> anyway, I'm, all right. Um, imagine a kid who's getting ready for the bus in the morning and is trying to get the knots out of his shoes, can't get his shoes on, right? Can't tie them because they're all in knots. And of course, nobody snuck down in the middle of the night and tied knots in his shoes. They're her, his own knots, right? It's his own knots. It's his own problems that he's created. And he's just struggling with this, sitting down, and he starts to cry. And he breaks and he, the nail peels back because he just can't get the knots done. And dad's just standing there. If mom was there, she would be helping already. But it's not mom, it's dad. And he's just standing there watching. And finally, the little boy just bursts into tears. And he's like, Daddy, can you help me? I can't get my shoes on. And the daddy swoops down, picks him up in one arm and the shoe in the other. And he gives him a kiss and he hugs and he sets him down. And quick as a wink, he undoes the knots and he gets the shoes on and ties them. And away, the, you know, wipes away the little tear before he, off he runs and makes the bus. And, you know, that problem solved. Why? How? Because a little boy asked his heavenly father to help him, asked his dad to help him. We, we need, this is what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to challenge God, challenge you to give God your shoe. All right, and maybe you're here today and your shoe is one of your kids. Give God your shoe. And you've been working at, and they're your own knots. Yeah, I know you made them. Maybe they're all your fault, but whatever, but but stop trying to fix it yourself and just give your shoe to God. Maybe you're depressed and discouraged about this or that. Just give your shoe to God. Maybe your finances are crazy and, and, and they're just not, if you don't know, there's, there's no way out of this. I've tried. I got the spreadsheet. I've, I've piled up all the bills. It just, there's no way to unknot this financially. Just give God your shoe. And there's people who your marriage is awful. And there's people here and there's things going on at work and it's just a mess and, and it's hard. And your son's in the hospital right now. You know what? Give God your shoe. And maybe he won't answer all in one lump sum. But he can take what you need for today and provide for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just... I just thank you that 
you know how to untie any knot we get ourselves messed up with. And I thank you that you are a good father that we can trust. And I just ask that you would help everyone here this morning that we would not leave with our shoes in knots, that we would not leave trusting ourselves and trying to figure stuff out all on our own, but God, that we would just begin a habit of rejoicing in the Lord always and, and uh, taking our anxieties with thanksgiving and presenting our requests to you. Lord, I just ask that you would, that we would trust you with the future, with the present, with our stuff, with our relationships. Help us to trust you with everything. And I thank you that as a good dad, you, you're not going to yell at us. You're just going to scoop us up in your arms and just give us what we need. And I pray that you would do that to each and every one of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.